know what that's like. Uh, Obviously, I have one, and obviously, I know what it's like to have kids who have one, and I know what it's like to know moms. And I know something about moms, that being a mom is not an easy job. Like, here's a picture in the day of life of a mom right here. Anybody ever relate to this? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, when you think about being a mom, you think about ultimate responsibility and very little celebration. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The amount of things that you have to do to just keep a child alive are nearly miraculous. And often you keep that child alive just to throw attitude at you once in a while. And there you are in the life of a mom. Go ahead and keep that picture on the screen. I want to get a deep look of what it's like to be a mom. Because when I think about moms, I think about all the different roles that you play in life and you don't get paid for them. Like if you got paid for the amount of responsibility that you had as a mom, you would be a multimillionaire for every kid that you have. I mean, think about it. You are the first doctor those kids ever have. The skin knees that come, the sniffling noses, the things that cause them to get scared. Uh, You're the first one to diagnose that, and maybe you just give them the easy cure, some Robitussin, take them to the hospital. But you're the first doctor, the first person that the child gives attention to and trust with their physical needs. You're, you're the first chef for the kids. Anybody know what that's like? You can turn spaghetti into a five-class meal if you're a great mom. You know that. And you know that when you're a mom, you're the one who prepares all the meals and feeds everybody. And I have a one 10-year-old and two 9-year-olds. And when they were a kid, they ate little bitty baby food. Now when they come to my house, it's like $600 just to get them all fed, right? Because the older the kids go, the greater the appetites. I remember that like Sunny D commercial growing up where all the kids run in the house and they open the fridge and they want to figure out what they can get. And there's like the purple stuff in the water and they go for the Sunny D. It's mom's job to have the fridge stocked and ready to go. Mom is the first counselor that kids have. When they have the girl that they like or the boy that they like, in school and they say that they smell and they don't want to be near them. Mom's the one to go, oh, I love you and it's okay and you'll find the person of your dreams. Mom is the first pastor for many of us, the first person to say prayers with the kids and read the Bible to them and maybe give them those beautiful promise Bibles with the kids' characters and the flannel graphs and all the wonderful ways that we encourage kids to grow spiritually. But moms play significant roles that if you tallied up all the hours and responsibility, what they had to accomplish, it would be an amazing job for one person to handle. Yet, but many of you handle it. And because you handle it, people grow, they discover who they are, they become fully competent, fully capable because they had a mom present. Moms absorb the stress and the pain and they take on ultimate responsibility. Sometimes it's a very thankless job, but we know that motherhood is the greatest thing, even if it's the hardest thing. And that motherhood is the greatest thing, even though it's the hardest thing. I I am not one of those men who envy what women have to go through to have kids. I've heard guys be like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to have like the joy of childbirth? And I'm like, no, I don't agree with that at all. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing to be at the food court and get the text that the baby is here? Yeah, that'd be amazing. But not only in producing a life and giving a birth, but the weight that moms carry. I think about that moment. You just experienced this. Your wife just experienced this. You bring this new life into this world full of possibility. What's she going to do? What's she going to become? Is she going to discover the miracle drug that saves us from cancer? Is she going to be a famous politician or a pastor? What, what, 
is that child going to become? And it's ultimately the mother's role and the father's role, but moms carry this special significance to shape who that child will become. That's why when many celebrities or people celebrate the incredible events that happen in their life, one of the first people they always thank is who? Mom. In 2014, Kevin Durant, the great basketball player, he was voted most valuable player of the NBA. And I think he's a great player. My son and I both like the Golden State Warriors. He's a Curry fan. You know, we're good. But Kevin Durant made national news, not just because he was the MVP, but because of the emotional, incredibly sensitive and impactful speech that he gave. And his entire speech was not a celebration of the coaches who got him to shoot the perfect hoops, though he gave some praise. It wasn't his teammates who supplied the context for him to be an all-star, though he gave some praise. The person that he spent most of his time talking about, giving greatest thanks for the influence that they had in his life, was, of course, his mom. And on Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper interviewed his mom right after this because it was the most touching speech. And in that speech, Kevin Durant said of his mom to her in front of all the coaches and all the celebrities and all the athletes and all the multi-million dollar brand representatives, Kevin Durant said to his mom, Mom, you're the MVP. There's no way that I could be here accepting this award, having the skills that I have, becoming the man that I am if it wasn't for my mom. And he told the story about how his mom would go without meals just to make sure he and his siblings had them, how his mom would work overtime to carry the responsibility of putting food on the table and making sure her children had a safe environment to grow up in. It was mom that put in the hard work. Why? So that she can get an Academy Award? Yeah, y'all waiting for yours? That she can get a multi-million dollar paycheck? It is not for money or for fame that causes moms to be great moms. It's because of love. And because of love, moms have the ability to shape lives, I think, better than most people. I want to talk about the power of moms today. Now, I realize when we talk about this subject, there's a lot of feelings that we can have when it comes to moms. Like, some of us had great experiences with our moms. They were amazing. They were a combination of like our best friend and our closest supporter and the one who provided for us and met us intimately and cared for us all the days of our life. Yet some of us, that wasn't our experience. And I've been a pastor long enough to know that there are deep wounds in some of us. Maybe mom had an addiction that caused her to be absent. Or maybe mom had a mental illness that caused her to be destructive. Or maybe mom was preoccupied with other relationships and you felt like second or third in the world of mom's priorities. I I don't know where your mom was, and I pray that you had the ultimate, most amazing mom. Pray that she's with you here today. Maybe for you, mom passed away and she wasn't there for you, not because she didn't want to be, but because we live in a broken world and her body had to go through that broken state earlier than you expected. And so every Mother's Day, it's kind of like a soreness because I wish mom was here. Every award ceremony, every marriage, every special event, it's like if mom was only here. 
regardless of what your experience was of moms, regardless if you're a mom here or not, moms play a powerful role in all of our lives. And those of you who are moms are going to be moms or maybe even had a mom. I think that's all of us. I want to talk about the power of moms in three specific areas. And if you're a mom, I want you to write these down because nobody has more power over your children and your grandchildren over these three areas than moms. And the power of moms have power to shape three areas in our life. Moms shape our identity Moms empower practically, and moms shape spiritually. Moms shape identity. That's one of the roles of a mom. Secondly, moms empower practically. And thirdly, moms shape spiritually. I want to talk about identity. The first person, typically, that a baby encounters when they come into this world is their mom. The first eyes they ever see, the first hands they ever feel, the first heartbeat they ever reverberate to is a mother. And that means moms have this power to shape identity. How many of you who are moms here gave the name to your children? Right? That's an, you named your kids. Think about that. That could have gone really badly. I have three kids, and my oldest daughter is named Samea. And that means miracle in Greek. And I was in, you know, seminary, so I thought, I'm going to give my kids all Bible names, you know. At least I'll get something out of this seminary education, you know, some good Greek and Hebrew names to name my kids. So we decided to name our first daughter Semea. It's the word for miracle. In the Gospel of John, Jesus performs all these signs. The word Semea means sign. A sign is a miracle, a, a signifier, a, a revelation of God in our life. So we named our daughter Semea. Then we wanted to name another daughter Hope. So I was talking. Uh, to mom, and I said, hey, let's name our daughter Hope. And she says, okay, great. The Greek word for miracle is Semea. What's the Greek word for hope? And I said, it's Elpis. <laughs> and she goes, I don't think we want a daughter named Elpis. And I'm like, come on, why can't we have an Elpis running around? Elvis, Elpis, our daughter is Elpis, Semea and Elpis. How are you doing? It means hope. No, 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 no. I mean, you could have given your daughter a horrible name, right? But you gave her a name that you thought reflected some value or some love that you had. You, you think about it. You gave the name that she'll be known for, he'll be known for, for the rest of their lives. You shape identity. But it's not only in giving a name to a child that we shape our identity. It's the story that we raise that child in that shapes their identity. Some kids, if they were given the name that really defined who they were, maybe that name would be Accident. We never planned you. You kind of just showed up. So we started thinking of names. An accident was taken. You know, the Buddha, do you know what he named his son? He named his son Fetter, Ball and Chain. <laughs> because he thought, oh, great, now I have a kid. Now I have all this responsibility. I can't be free and spiritual. I have a ball and chain. I mean, you could have named your kid Ball and Chain. You could have named your kid credit card debt. I mean, you could have named your kid a million things, but you didn't. You gave an identity that shaped a name, but you also gave a story. And what I mean by that is you got to tell your kids how valuable they were, how special and unique they were, because you know that they're going to grow up in a world that is going to battle them at every step of the way, that is going to try to strip them of their identity. You're going to raise daughters 
and you're gonna try to communicate to them that they're beautiful and they're valuable regardless of how they look, regardless of how their body is exposed, regardless of how wonderful men think about them, yet we know that we raise women in a world where it's like you get attention through certain ways. And if there's not a person in your child's life shaping their identity, they can go a million different ways when life starts calling. You know, the Jewish people, they did one thing that was so central to their understanding of who they were. They shaped the identity of their children. They would have children in Judaism, but it wasn't like, oh, we just had a kid. It was like we had a new member of our community. That's why when people turn 13, they have what's called a bar mitzvah. And bar mitzvah means son of the covenant, meaning You're now part of this bigger story, this grander narrative. You don't have to worry about your identity. You don't have to go out there and achieve status or be good looking or have people know you or have a million likes on Instagram for you to know who your identity is. For the Jewish people, you are part of God's people, which has existed for thousands of years. And that's why you should know who you are. In the book of Exodus, God does this amazing miracle, right? He saves the people of Israel out of slavery from the people of Egypt. But in the book of Exodus, over and over and over again, you have parents commended, communicating to their children who they are. In Exodus 13, 8, you should tell your son on that day saying, it is because what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Exodus 13, 14, and it shall be when your son asks you in time to come say, What is this? Then you shall say to him, with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And you're wondering, what's the significance of those passages? The passages speak to the fact that the parents are going to live in such a way, it's going to cause spiritual intrigue in the life of the kids. So one day the kids are going to go, Dad, tell me about that story. And you're going to be able to say, well, in this family, we've always done it that way. Or, or we're, we're Christians in this family, and that's why we serve on this holiday. Or that's why we're generous in these ways. See, the greatest struggle every human being will ever have is the struggle for identity. To truly know who they are and where they come from. And it is the job of a parent, it is the job of a mother to give that identity, that thumbprint, identity to their child. And to remind them that no matter who they are, or where they go, or what challenges come across their path, that you are known here. I could just think about what it'd be like to be the mother of the president of the United States, like Barbara Bush. She was married to a president. She had a son who was a president. She had a son who tried to be the president. That didn't work out, but she at least got two. Can you imagine being the mom in that household? Your son comes home, flies there in a private jet, goes to mom. Do you think mom cares that her son is the president? Mom doesn't see her son as the president. Mom sees her son as her son. And regardless if the president's successful or not, mom loves her son. And I actually think that's what causes great people to be great, John F. Kennedy, before he'd go speak, he used to call his mom. 
And his mom would say to him something every time before he'd go to a speech, before a national television audience. She would say, now, honey, you need to remember who you are and that if it doesn't go as well as you hoped, mom will always love you. If you have somebody in your life constantly reminding you who you are, that will give you wings, that will give you strength, that will empower you to become a person who can take radical risk because if you know that if things go badly, mom will still love me. The greatest thing you can give your kids, fathers, moms, is this deep, profound sense of identity that no matter how successful they become in their efforts or no matter how difficult things become in this life, that they have somebody in their life who knows who they are, apart from the status and apart from the privilege and apart from the degrees and apart from the wins and apart from the losses, that mom is always present, reminding their children who they are. Moms shape identity. Not only do moms shape identity, moms, your job is to empower practically, to empower practically. Proverbs verses 1-8 says, hear my son, your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. In the Bible, one of the primary roles of moms is to teach, to instruct their children on how to live life in an effective and meaningful way. The roles of moms is actually to be an instructor, a teacher of their children. And, you know, moms teach in lots of different ways. You know, like my mom used to teach with, like, the back of her hand sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? That's how I got some instruction from my mom. I'd be in the back seat too loud, and suddenly a hand would come in the back seat, and it'd be, like, dodging it in three different ways, right? And that was mom's instruction. Or mom would force us to, you know, clean up after ourselves. That was mom's instruction. Mom would tell us if we had body odor issues. That was mom's instruction. Mom would tell us that we couldn't wear those types of clothes certain places. That was mom's instruction. Now, why? Now, listen. How many of your kids enjoy being told to take a bath and clean up after themselves and not speak that way? Everyone, all the kids sign up for that one, right? No? Like, Anybody ever have to wrestle a kid to the ground to get them to do what you want? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I have three, and I've had to do many wrestling acts, you know, where it's just like, get me that Indiana Jones whip and let me figure out how to handle this thing, right? What's the purpose of all of that? What's the purpose of all that? Well, this is the purpose. The purpose of motherhood is to create well-formed, independent adults. Now, That doesn't show up in many Hallmark cards, does it? (laughs) We're going to celebrate Mother's Day today. What's your job, moms? It's to create well-formed, independent adults. Now, that's hard for those of you who gave birth to a child because that child feels so much a part of you, right? And I've heard moms say, well, I don't care how big he gets, he'll always be my baby. It sounds sweet until they're 45 and living at home. (laughs) Because the purpose of motherhood 
is to create well-formed, independent adults. Now, there's this... uh, I get a lot of my theology from Disney movies, so maybe those of you know what Disney movie this is. Anybody know what movie this is? Tangled, anybody seen that movie? Now, it's a story about this devouring older mother who has her daughter imprisoned in a castle, and she doesn't let her daughter leave because she wants her daughter close so that her daughter can feel loved. No, 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 no. Actually, that's not the reason, right? The reason is the mother has a spell. And the spell is this. If the girl leaves, the mother starts to age. And so mom wants to keep daughter really, really close because she derives and sucks youth out of her child. Now, I know none of us do this, right? You don't know anybody who does this where they can't let go because if my daughter who is an infant grows up to be an adult, what happens? Actually, the infant dies. And so you go through the grief of losing a child if you raise well-formed, independent adults. You go through the grief of losing a child if you raise well-formed, independent adults. So many people don't want to raise well-formed, independent adults. Why? Because then they end up losing a child. And they feel like, well, no, no, I, I, I can't, no, no, she needs me. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 there, there's a dependency here, you know, she needs me. Yeah, I, I know she needs you. But what she needs more than you is to become an independent, well-formed adult. Because one day, mom, you won't be there. Even the best moms won't be there. Even the greatest moms won't be there. And the goal of parenting is to create well-formed, independent adults, to create people who are shaped in such a way that they become great moms who can create kids who are well-formed, independent adults. So what's your job? Is to empower kids practically. Uh, The less you can do for your children, the better. You're like, what did he just say? Say that again, Pastor? The less you can do for your children, the better. Um, I got an amen from a dad in this house, right? The less you can do. Why, why, now, why is that? Because when you create space for your kids to do what you normally do for them, you create an opportunity for your kids to transition from being children to adults. But if you're constantly running around, cleaning up after every one of their messes, And you think to yourself, well, that's just what a great mom does. That's how I get my identity, because I'm the mom who cleans up after the messes. You might find yourself cleaning up after messes when they're 40 or 45. And those messes don't become fun. It's okay to clean up the macaroni and cheese. It's harder to clean up a bankruptcy. And so the reality is, you want to learn how to let go and empower your kids. So stop doing for your kids what they can do for themselves. Oh, I know that's painful, right? But it comes back to us. It's like, okay, well, I could do it for him or he's gonna cry and he's gonna kick and he's gonna scream. I mean, I know he's 30, but he's still gonna do that. So I'm just gonna do it for him so I don't have to hear the crying and the kicking and the screaming. What are you doing? You're saying to yourself, I'm afraid of letting go 
and becoming independent of this relationship where I've always been the person who solves every problem for them. What you are called to as a mom is to create well-formed, independent adults. And the way that you do that is you empower your kids as practically as you can to become those adults themselves. The greatest thing I think you can do as a mom is shape your kids spiritually, shape your kids spiritually. Uh, The Atlantic wrote an article, and that's not a Christian magazine. And then an article, this was the title of it. It is the moms who get kids to church. That was the title of the article. It is the moms who get kids to church. A new study suggests women are the primary models for religious faith in many households. This was written in October of 2016. Here's a quote from the article. I think it's really fascinating. It is often the moms, the ones who do the cleaning and volunteer at school and know the ins and outs of their kids' diets and health records. Men and women in American households may be taking on more and more equal roles, but there are more spheres in which women still dominate. All the ladies say amen. And that apparently includes religion. A new report from the Pew Research Center suggests mothers have more influence on their children's religious upbringing than fathers, especially in interfaith households. Or another way to say that, that's in a household where mom loves Jesus and go to church and dad's not too into it, doesn't know where he stands with spiritual issues or biblical uh, faith. One third of respondents in a survey of roughly 5,000 Americans said that their mom was more responsible for their religious experience than their dad. In families with the parents of mixed religious backgrounds, the percentage was well more than half. This was especially true in households which one parent was religious and the other wasn't. In those cases, nearly two-thirds of respondents said their mom had the most influence on their religious lives. And this isn't a time to go kind of at the dads or anything like that, but I've been a pastor for 15 years, and I'm going to tell you right now, it is overwhelmingly disproportionate when it comes to spiritual leadership in homes. And you think to yourself, men are supposed to be the spiritual life, leaders of the family. No, they, they, yes, right, they're supposed to lead spiritually. Just often mom does it. And often, churches like feminine, it's for the ladies, so mom kind of drags the kids to church. Dad goes to kind of make mom happy. But when kids grow up and they start to look at their own spiritual lives, and it goes from just attending church to deciding what they want to have in terms of a relationship with God and who they believe Jesus to be, two-thirds look at mom and go, well, the reason I pray is because mom prayed for me. The reason I give is because mom gave. The reason I love my enemies is because mom did. The reason I serve is because mom did. The reason I sing and I love Jesus is because mom did. And it doesn't mean as fathers we are irrelevant. Ultimately, it's to have a unified household when it comes to spiritual matters. But I've been amazed by how many great churches have been built off the faith and the prayers of incredible women. And your kids, they're looking at you to shape their spirituality. And often what happens is in a household, one parent's really like spiritual, the other one kind of just goes along with it. Well, which one do you think is going to have the greater influence over time? Often it's the one who actually models faith for the kids. I saw a recent movie, uh, maybe you saw it, it's out in theaters, it's called Breakthrough. Anybody see that movie? 
is a Christian movie, but it's about a boy who falls through the ice while playing on it with some friends. I have a picture. And his mom is told that he is past, that there's no way that they could save him. He was underneath the water for 15 minutes, freezing, cold, frigid water. And there's this powerful scene where she's invited to go in to be with her son, who she now was told is a corpse. And she goes into that room with this like spirit of refusal. Everyone told her, yeah, your son's not going to make it. The dad can't even go into the room. It's too overwhelming for him. But in the movie, mom goes in the room. And there's this powerful moment where she just yells at the top of her voice with grief in her heart. She says, Holy Spirit, give me back my son. And suddenly his heart starts beating, ever faintly. And the doctors rush in the room, and they're amazed. And they don't get her hopes up, and they say, no, she, your, your son's going to pass, and we're, you know, this is probably just a fluke, and we're going to get him on some treatments. And she didn't leave his side for days until her son walked out of the hospital with her. That movie was so powerful because it was a demonstration of a faith of a mother who wouldn't give up. Maybe that's how you feel right now. You're in that situation. Maybe it's not a kid on a respirator. Maybe it's a kid with an addiction. A kid with a broken relationship. A kid with a physical illness that takes a lot of energy and time from you and you've been giving and giving and giving and giving. Can I tell you that moms suffer because they love so much. Moms suffer because they love so much. When Jesus was crucified, all the guys bailed. (laughs) I think that's really funny, by the way. All the tough men who followed Jesus and said, we will be with you to the end. You know, WWF style. You know, you go into their tag team, me, Jesus. I'm gonna wrestle with you to the end. That's what Peter said, right? Never will I deny you. And the second he saw those police guards, he said, I don't know know the guy. I'm just gonna take off, right? When Jesus is being crucified, guess who's there until he takes his final breath? Mama. So much in the Gospel of John that Jesus says to his disciple John, John, this is your mother, and now this is your son. Mama never left Jesus' side. Mary never left Jesus' side. You could tell all the men ran. They were all scared. What happened to Jesus happened to them, but the women had such a love and devotion that they didn't leave when things got hard. They stayed even during the most painful times. Can you imagine what it would be like to see your son crucified? To stand there, doing nothing, completely powerless, yet present in that moment because your mom, your mom, that's what moms are going to do. Even if this is a hopeless situation, moms are going to stand in the gap. Moms suffer because they love so much. I think if you don't want to suffer in life, don't have any kids. Don't have any significant relationships. 
kind of live on the surface of life, kind of a shallow, insignificant existence, you know, talk about the sports teams and, you know, entertainment and just kind of keep yourself happy until you pass. Because if you want to actually have deep relationships, one of the things that you are signing up for is suffering. Yet moms, it's amazing to me. It's like, I'm having a baby and they're all excited and it's growing in their belly and then everyone tells us it's the most excruciating pain any person's ever experienced is giving birth. Thank God I don't have to do it. And yet there's this excitement and joy. Why? Because the love is so present, the suffering is worth it. Moms suffer because they love so much. Maybe you're suffering right now as a mom because you're praying for a prodigal. You're praying for a prodigal. You're praying for a broken son or daughter. Your heart is bent in suffering because you, you have a kid who you love so much. I, I, I know what it's like to see a mom suffer for a kid. I had a brother who's doing well now, but for was a time was addicted to drugs at a very high level, spent some time in prison. And I remember my mom uh, uh, she couldn't go visit him, you know, it was just, and I, I remember, why, why can't you go visit him in jail? Because I'll break through the bars to get my son. Her heart just broke so much for him. And I know what it's like to see a mom cry because they have a child who's just like not living according to the best way that they could live. They, they're not living up to their destiny and their potential. Moms suffer because they love so much. And maybe some of you right now, you're praying for a prodigal and you would want to like take the pain of your kid if you could just to heal the situation. You know, Jesus actually at times, I know we, when we say God, we think of typically male categories, right? But Jesus at times actually uses motherly categories to describe his mission and his heart towards people. He actually uses mother language at times. For instance, in Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus is going towards his crucifixion, and he's standing up on a hilltop in Jerusalem, and he's looking over the city of Jerusalem, the city that God sent him as the Messiah to save, to redeem. Yet the city that he was sent to save and redeem, to bring healing and hope to, has now turned their back on him, and in just a few moments, they're going to take him and crucify him. And Jesus uses some interesting, interesting language here. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus is looking at his children, the city of Jerusalem, and like lost kids who have no idea which way they're supposed to live. Jesus says, I've longed to gather you under my wings like a mother hen gathers her chicks. Now, here's a picture of what that looks like. But what you need to know is the context of this verse is Jesus is actually referring to something that was fairly common. He's referring to what happens during a barnyard fire. And this is true. Farmers know this. Often, if there's a barnyard fire, the fire rages and it burns the wood, it burns the barn, it burns the house, it burns everything that it touches. But often, what you'll discover if you go piece through the rubble and the wreckage of a barnyard fire is often you'll find a mother hen who is burned and scorched and dead with live baby chicks underneath her wings. 
And Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he says, I've longed to gather you neath my arms like a mother. Like, I want to take the pain for you. I want to take the fire for you. And by the way, Jesus did. As he spread open his arms, he invited us to live safely underneath his wings. As he took the punishment, we were given the freedom. But I think it's amazing that Jesus uses the language because that's what I think every great mom would do. Every great mom, if they had the opportunity to choose, do I suffer or my kids suffer, they're going to say, go, me. Because you often know that the suffering of your kids is 10 times more than your own personal suffering because it's your kids. Jesus says, you want to see a picture of what a great mom does? That's what great moms do. They don't run when the fire comes but they will offer themselves in love and grace to be a rescuer when appropriate. So those of you who are moms in the room, I I want to encourage you that you have more influence and more power than you can ever imagine and that there are people in the world right now who look to you as the source of greatest wisdom and energy and joy and may you just be one for them who both offers them spiritual guidance, shapes them practically, and reinforces their identity so they know who they are going forward. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for your love and your grace. And I thank you for every mom in the house. I thank you for the way that mothers have shaped our lives and encouraged us Thank you for the ways that mothers have sacrificed, have empowered. I know that in this room right now, there are men and women who are struggling on this Mother's Day, maybe because mom passed away this last year, and this is the first Mother's Day without her. And so it's difficult. It's not easy. I pray that you give grace and mercy and show that you, God, can be a perfect parent to every heart. Some of us are elated today. We're, we're so thankful because we had such a great mom. I think, we, God, if mom's still around, that we'll be able to express that to her, that we can send a, a card or a text or show up and say, thank you for being meaningful in my life. Thank you for shaping me spiritually. Thank you for impacting my life. Thank you for making meaningful moments for me. Thank you for making me a priority in your life. And those of us who have kids in our lives who are constantly looking to us for affirmation and guidance and wisdom, I pray, Father, that you would please empower us with your spirit to make righteous and wise decisions, knowing that our example will be followed. And I pray that in this room, there'll be parents who make a decision to put you first and therefore see their kids flourish in the days ahead. On this Mother's Day, God, we just thank God for mothers. We thank God for the role that they play, and we give you great thanks, Jesus, for all that you've done in our life. In your name, amen.